Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, reading from the New Revised Standard Version. The future house of God. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14, reading from the New Revised Standard Version. An urgent appeal. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is, near, <coughs> is nearer to us now than when we first became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us live honourably as in the day, not in revelling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarrelling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It is from the Gospel according to St Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 to 44, reading from the Revised Standard Version. The Necessity for Watchfulness but about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as in the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. <coughs> For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. 
Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Thanks be to God for the readings of his word. I wonder what image, what picture comes to mind when we think of Jesus. Perhaps as we approach Christmas, we might visualise Jesus the tiny baby, born into a stable environment somewhere near Bethlehem. Someone or two are groaning. Or maybe to be perhaps more faithful to the season of Advent, if not to scripture itself. We might conceive of Jesus as the unborn child carried by his mother on a donkey led by Joseph. Or perhaps we might imagine Jesus the teenager, precociously engaging with the scribes in the temple. Or Jesus the adult eating meals with friends, annoying the religious authorities and bringing healing and wholeness to those he encountered. Or perhaps we might think of Jesus on the cross, or the Jesus of the empty tomb, or maybe we think of Jesus in more metaphorical terms. Jesus the Good Shepherd, Jesus the Light of the World, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Bread of Life, Jesus the Living Water, Jesus the Gateway to Eternal Life. I could go on. However, there is one image that I'm going to guess doesn't readily come to mind. And yet it is one with strong scriptural precedent. And that is the image of Jesus as a thief in the night. We've already met Jesus the thief in our reading for this morning. He's there in verses 43 to 44 of our gospel reading. But we can also find him in another number of other places elsewhere in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, something which he reinforces a couple of verses later, reminding his readers in Thessalonica that because they live in the light and not in darkness, they will not be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. The second letter of Peter makes a similar point, taking the language of Paul and reappropriating it for a later generation. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything on it will be disclosed. And then in a similar apocalyptic vein, there are a couple of references to Jesus the thief in the book of Revelation. Firstly, in chapter 3, verse 3, the church in Sardis are told to remember then what you received and heard, obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you do not know at what hour I will come to you. And then, secondly, in Revelation 16, verse 15, the voice of Jesus proclaims, See, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and is clothed, not going about naked and exposed to shame. This idea of Jesus breaking and entering a house in order to plunder the property within also finds a parallel in Mark's Gospel, 
where Jesus gives his parable of the strong man. Mark 3.27 reads, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. In this short parable from Mark's Gospel, Jesus makes his subversive intentions clear. He likens his mission to that of a thief. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus' whole ministry can be understood in terms of his breaking into Satan's house, tying him up and releasing that which has been held captive. Matthew, in our passage for this morning, presents the same idea but slightly differently. He offers us a different perspective on Jesus the thief, emphasising the unexpectedness of the manner of Jesus coming. One of the interesting things about many of these references to Jesus the thief, and it's something we find in our passages for today as well, is the way in which they interplay between the language of light and darkness, the language of daytime and the language of night. The thief comes unexpectedly in the night. He comes suddenly into the darkness of a slumbering world. But when he comes, what he brings with him is light and life. Because the thief who comes in the night brings the day of the Lord. The darkness of night gives way to the light of the day. This is a very strange kind of thief, isn't it? Most thieves operate in darkness and like to keep it that way. They come in darkness, steal what they have come to acquire, and then leave under the cover of darkness. But although Jesus, the thief, comes in darkness, what he brings is not more darkness, but the growing brightness of the dawning of the day of the Lord. The unexpected hour of the arrival of the day reveals the deeds of the night for what they are, bringing into view that which might otherwise remain shrouded in darkness. As Paul says in our reading from his letter to the Romans, the time has come for laying aside the works of darkness. The time has come to put on the armour of light and to live honourably as in the day. Now, if I trawl back into my earlier years as a Christian, I can remember times when I've heard this language of the thief in the night used very unhelpfully. I'm hoping this morning to offer us a different and, I believe, better way of engaging with it. The application of this image of Jesus as a thief in the night certainly should not be, look busy, Jesus is coming. Neither should it be primarily about personal morality and the risk of getting caught out doing something naughty. Do you ever have anybody, you know, what would it be if Jesus came back and caught you doing that? In fact, I would suggest that any attempt to use the promise of Jesus coming as a threat to enforce ethics by fear 
is actually a very long way from the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whilst I'm on it, neither is this passage about what is sometimes called the rapture, which is a largely unscriptural and relatively recent doctrine that teaches Christians to expect that at a sudden and unexpected future advent of Jesus, they will be swept off the earth to glory in the clouds, whilst the rest of the world quite literally goes to hell beneath them. I don't think it's about that either. Rather, this passage, this image of Jesus as the thief who comes in the night, is about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is about the coming of Jesus into the world as a human being, not as a king, but as a refugee, unexpectedly, not where he would normally be found, not as a powerful ruler, but as a dissident revolutionary. Not as the son of a king, but as the child of a young and unmarried girl. Jesus, the light of the world, came into the darkness, not as anyone expected him to come, but in the most surprising way imaginable. He came as a thief in the night comes, under the cover of darkness, to bring the new and unexpected light of the day of the Lord. He came, to borrow Mark's language again, to plunder the house of the strong man and liberate those held captive there. He came to steal the world back from the forces of Satan and to break the power of the owner of the house. And the earth has been enslaved for far too long. The forces of the satanic empire have held power over the peoples of the earth for so long that it has become normality. And too easily we have grown complacent to the horror of it. The image of two men in the field with one taken and one left, or of two women working at the mill with one taken and one left, is a stark metaphor for the terror of the satanic empire wreaking its way across the face of the earth. Tom Wright helpfully reminds us of the force of this image. He says, This doesn't mean, as some have suggested, that one person will be taken away by God in some kind of supernatural salvation whilst the other is left to face destruction. If anything, it's the opposite. When invading forces sweep through a town or a village, they will take some off to their deaths whilst leaving others untouched. The empire flexes its muscles and someone dies, and someone else lives, and we say to ourselves, that's just the way of the world. And then we justify our complicity in such satanic systems as long as it's me and mine that live. We comfort ourselves with the mantra that the death of others elsewhere to war or starvation or oppression is regrettable but unavoidable. 
The fourth of Jesus image of two workers side by side with one taken by the empire to their death and the other escaping with their life intact. The force of that is that all human workers are equal. All humans are equal. Whether a person is working at the top of the pile in the affluent West or at the bottom of the pile in a dangerous and impoverished developing world, all are equal in the sight of God. Two workers, side by side. But the shock of one being taken and one left vividly highlights the capricious nature of those principalities and powers that control life and death on a global scale. And whether it's the Roman Empire of the first century or the empire of global capital of our own century or any of the other empires that have done the same thing throughout human history, Jesus invites us to realise that all workers are equal. And that when someone dies in the collapse of a poorly built factory in Bangladesh making Western clothing, or when someone dies at the bottom of a substandard coltan mine in the Congo trying to get the minerals needed to make our phones work, they are in actual fact the worker who stands alongside us as we wear our affordable clothes and use our smartphones to update our status the other has been taken, and we remain. Two women working at the mill, one gone, one left. Is it just the way of the world? This is the darkness of the satanic empire, and it is into this darkness that the light of the world comes like a thief in the night to steal the world back from the forces of empire. This is how Jesus came, it is how he still comes, and it is how he will come again and again and again. The light of the world comes as he has always come, as a thief in the night, unexpectedly, subversively, irrevocably, slipping in under the radar to steal the world back from those forces that currently hold it hostage. The strong man's house is still in darkness. The military and economic forces of the empire still tower over the world, lulling those of us who live here to sleep with the opiate of affluence inviting us to close our eyes to the darkness that is all around us. The call in the image of Jesus as a thief is that we should wake up, that we should open our eyes, that we should learn to see the world around us in the light of his coming day. We should be ready for the revolution, not napping the night away. We may be the undercover sleeper agents of the inbreaking kingdom of God, but we mustn't be caught sleeping with our heads under the covers. The call is for us to be ready and alert to the light of Christ, which shines in the most unexpected places. 
The call is for us to never think we know in advance where Jesus will be found next, but to be always ready to greet him when he comes, ever attentive to the dawning of the day of the Lord. But this invitation to wake up, to open our eyes and to learn to see the world differently is an invitation that it's very easy to ignore. You see, the world can just seem so normal, can't it? It can be so hard to believe that not everything around us is of equal value. It can be so hard to believe that not everything we do is of eternal value. So perhaps here we need to hear the lesson of Noah. He could see that the world was going to change. Jesus talks about this, doesn't he, in our passage from Matthew. Noah could see that the world was going to change. His eyes were opened to the darkness that surrounded him. And so he started building accordingly. But everyone else just went on eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage, little realising that they were sleepwalking their way to disaster. The story of Noah offers a clear parable of just how easy it is to carry on carrying on whilst remaining willfully or blissfully blind to the darkness that is closing in all around us. But it also offers a message of hope to those who live on the earth. Because the promise to Noah at the end of the story is that God is turning his back forever on the strategy of rebooting creation. Genesis 8 verses 21 to 22. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. The story of Noah explores and rejects the idea that God might one day restart the earth with a small group of the elect few lifted above the tumult to survive and repopulate a recreated earth. Our future is here, on this earth, and we need to wake up to the fact that the empires we create are having on the created order that is actually ours to tend. Because God is not, I think, going to give us a get-out-of-jail-free card to the challenges raised by human-induced climate change, for example. God is not going to restart it all for the favoured few on a newly-minted Earth Mark II. And it is no small irony that our passage for this morning has been so extensively used by those who would argue that we should expect exactly this. But I think they are wrong. The point of the parable of Noah is that the coming flood is not a flood of destruction, but the flood of the inbreaking kingdom of God. It's the flood of the dawning day of the Lord. It is the coming of the Son of Man, whose light shines in the darkness exposing to the light even the darkest corners of the earth. And the encouragement to wake up, to be alert, to live in the light, 
It's both an encouragement to build lives that will endure when exposed to the light of Christ, and a warning to those whose deeds and priorities and relationships are only sustainable in the darkness. As Jesus said earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The coming day of the Lord is a flood that exposes the very foundations on which our lives and empires have been built. And it asks us to consider carefully the ground on which we're building. We might get away with it once. We might get away with it twice. We might get away with it for years. But in time, the behaviour becomes a pattern, the luxury becomes an addiction, and our priorities slowly reorientate themselves away from a life lived in the light of Christ, towards a life lived in darkness. We displace God revealed in Christ as the ground of our being and fill the void with patterns of our own devising. And all the while we blind ourselves to what is happening, just closing our eyes to the light of the day and slowly sleepwalking our way to destruction. Wake up, says Jesus, because the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. The days of darkness are numbered. And the time has now come to walk in the light of the Lord. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. I remember as a teenager reading Thomas Hardy's novel, Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Not a lot of it stuck, but one bit did. There's a scene where the heroine Tess is pondering the day of her death. And she observes that everyone who has died is always remembered on the anniversary of their death. And yet, they lived their whole life never knowing that date, passing over it year after year after year as if it were just another day. Keep awake, therefore, says Jesus, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. No one expected Bethlehem, no one expected a baby, no one expected Mary or Joseph or a stable, no one expected the homeless wandering prophet of new life, no one expected the cross, no one expected the resurrection, but as Bruce Coburn so brilliantly put it, Redemption ripped through the surface of time in the cry of a tiny babe. So be alert, keep awake, because the Son of Man comes like a thief in the night to steal the world for good.